Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week is a very special episode for me because I have the pleasure of introducing my mentor and former principal, Sandra Pegram. Sandra was a middle school principal at Renner Middle School and now is a high school principal at the Gwynn Center in Plano ISD. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. And Sandra, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became an administrator. All right. Well, that started some years back, of course. I would say my first interest started my fifth year in PISD at Carpenter Middle School, where I was in my fifth year of teaching English uh, to seventh graders. And my administrator at the time saw some skills and qualities and talents that I didn't think twice about. So she asked me for the next year to become the behavior specialist. At the time, Plano had that position available. You know, I thought about it probably for about two months before I said yes. I took it on and was able to develop it into my own idea of what the position should entail because it was so new in Plano at the time that she didn't have an idea of what it really was. And it kind of carved into being, you know, almost like an intern, that very entry level of an administrator. You know, the rest is history. So that was the start of this journey. In Plano, you were the behavior specialist. And then was there a promotion? Did you get to go into a new leadership role after that? Yeah, I probably stayed the behavior specialist for about a year. It was an an entire school year. And uh, then I went into the intern position, uh, which was still in existence at that time in PISD. And and that's when I went to Renner Middle School, interviewed there, and stayed in that position for about five months, a little shorter than a school year. Interviewed for Murphy Middle School, which is where I met you. Yes. And um, worked there for about two years as the assistant principal under two different principals in Aston first and then Brant Perry for the second year. And as an administrator, what was the most difficult part of being a campus leader? See, that's a big question because there's probably a a number of things I could talk about that were very difficult. You know, the first thing is just kind of finding out who you are as a leader, because you don't realize how big that impact is going to be, that it's going to truly include not just students, but all the adults around and involved in those students' lives teachers and parents, even community members who may not have children, you know, at your your school, but who are definitely affected by how your school is, you know, is ran, the success or challenges of your school. It's amazing to see just how large that impact pool is when you are in that, I guess you can call it that pilot seat, that bird's eye view looking down it's pretty amazing, and you have to adjust yourself and be ready to um, fly that craft. And so in your transition from a assistant principal to a principal, what was the largest misconception as you began your administrative experience? That's a huge transition. I think it's bigger than most assistant principals would imagine. As the assistant principal, you are in a position to kind of be the bridge, the liaison between the teachers and the principal, not understanding at the time as AP that the principal is, you know, the one who is kind of 
charging the school with all of the you know strategies and expectations, the vision, the mission, you know, and there are a number of people that you are trying to, to, to buy into those different aspects of the school. And people don't always think the same, believe the same. So the assistant principal is able to just kind of be almost seen as that the person the teachers reach out to when they're not able to connect with that principal and sometimes vice versa. So when you leave that seat, you realize that you you leave the cushion of being the, I hate to say it this way, but the good cop, the good guy. And you're now in the seat of being evaluated by any <laughs> choice or decision that you might make for your campus. That was probably my biggest hurdle to get across is knowing that now the buck stopped with me, which meant that I wasn't looking for someone to give me permission and advice. I was the permission and advice. And sometimes that wasn't going to sit right with some of the teachers and or parents. So not being appreciated sometimes for your decisions, you know, can be one of those eye-opening things that you need to be prepared for. What leadership skill were the most difficult to develop? For me, it was knowing how to... to sit down and take care of the bureaucratic part of the job and not be amongst the, what I like to call, the purpose of being in education, the physical child itself, you know, being in the classrooms, the hallways, the cafeterias, you know, as much as I would have liked. So you have to have some type of discipline. I had to develop discipline to stay put and take care of the business side of the school. So that was that was one of my huge, and I'm probably still in the midst of developing that mm-hmm. today. You had an open door policy with your teachers, with your staff, and then obviously those who were looking for leadership opportunities. Mm-hmm. How did you create a culture of growth within your leaders? Probably included mostly the open door approach and probably the the hip approach. I remember working with you, Josh, when you were the art teacher at Murphy Middle School and just seeing the passion that you had and the interest that you were just you were just ready to dive into that pool head first. And I just remember saying, you know, you have to be willing to join me at the hip. And, you know, once you kind of roll out that invitation, you expect the person to take take you up on it because it's hard to stop and say, would you like to be involved in this? So it's just really kind of letting the person know that you really mean what you say when you invite them to be a part of your everyday existence when they have the opportunity, you know, just taking them along the journey. And as an administrator, what is one area you want to change in education? Gosh, if I were czar. (laughs) I know it's a big question. If I were czar, what would I change? (laughs) I would try to get the public, our communities, just our at-large society to want to invest in education the way that we truly should. And I know that's kind of a, a large answer, but I think if, as a society, if we truly put our value in our educational system, of course, that would, funds would support us a whole lot more if people would value, you know, education and teachers and and the journey that it takes to develop young minds in our schools so that we could make sure that we have all the resources. And sometimes it's really more the human resources, you know, more teachers, so that we can create a bit smaller classrooms than we have. And and you can get 
to every child a, a little bit better. You know, the you know the gifted kid to the kid who struggles. Everyone can have a little bit more of that teacher time. That forty five minutes now starts to feel like more like an hour and ten minutes because you have less kids to touch. Um, instead of trying to touch, you know, 30 or more kids within a 45 minute block. I think if I always like to say that, you know, if I were a czar, it would be to help society understand we can't just say we believe in education. We have to get to a point in time where we start showing that we believe in education. Mm -hmm. I know at Runner and now at the Gwen Center, your views on discipline has changed. I think mine also with restorative practices. What are some things that you're doing on your campus to revolutionize discipline? Of course, this is a big movement, and, and it's weird because I often say it's not a new movement. It's not a new philosophy or idea. It's I think it's something that's been a part of education for years. To be an educator, you have to have some compassion and empathy of where your students come from and what they come to you with be it knowledge or behaviors and the alike. So it has changed my view, especially being at an at-risk campus like Gwen, where we serve ninth through 12th graders who probably do not come with like most uh, students in traditional campuses. These kids are behind in credits. They may come to me with some challenges in their families, personal lives. Some of them are independent students who are really struggling in some ways in life that I think surprisingly most adults would be surprised and struggle with. So these kids are very resilient, but at the same time, they come, some of them come very empty. So the restorative practice at Gwen especially helps us to see that and make sure that that is at the forefront of our education. You know, we may not be hitting the books primarily from the standpoint of the math, the English, the social studies, the science right through the door, but it is making sure that the student feels safe, making sure that we can respond when they don't respond appropriately to us because of the previous night or because of, you know, just the wear and tear of life, making sure that we're not taking things personally, but we are personalizing the child to help them build those lower level needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, making sure that they're fed, they're in a place to learn basically. And right now that's kind of the core of Gwen is this is truly driven by SEL. And we have an awesome SEL leader on our campus this year who, you know, is doing a great job of filling in those those emotional gaps and those social gaps for our students. But and then trying to truly spread that out amongst all of our teachers on the campus. Uh, it's challenging, but we are truly getting it done. And it has changed, you know, my heart and, you know, my approach in so many ways with mm -hmm. SEO. And looking back, what is one initiative you've implemented on one of your campuses that you're extremely proud of? Let's see, we have been very intentional, actually, with SEL. We have carved out a time of the day from 1230 to 115, where we instruct, embrace kids, you know, in this whole con concept. And what we do is we have what we call link time at Gwen. So we kind of stop, drop away from academics and the kids get to connect to some sort of community outlet you know, be it basketball, be it football, be it arts, video. And what it is, is we've kind of divided all of those groups into five days. And some of them are combinations of different links. 
and the students will carve out and it's a standing schedule. So football and basketball will meet on Monday and have this group one-on-one that is the curriculum is driven through SEL. So we're intentionally trying to, you know, kind of seep into the spirits and souls of these students, you know, not accidentally, but very purposed. So that's an initiative we started this year. We tried it a little bit last year, just with our discipline students first. We really found it very effective and realized, you know what, let's spread it across all students. So now it's not only discipline, but it's academic students. You can see it helping our students feel an ownership, you know, of this school that they now claim as their own after being removed from their home campuses. And that's an important value that we want to instill in our students that this is at the time being, if it's 15 days, if it's two weeks, whatever time you have, we're going to make it feel like you own a part of this school and we're going to help build you up to get you back to your home campus. And for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Really connect with someone, take advantage of shadowing, take advantage of being the fly on the wall in any situation that you can find that doesn't violate confidentiality of you know people that you may be looking at or listening to. Get your hands dirty because it is a big job. It's a big job to be a leader. It's a big responsibility to be a leader. And it comes with criticism. And you have to get ready to toughen up your skin and, you know, and take on the many that will not be happy with decisions you make. I mean, you want to see what that looks like before you you dip in. Yeah, my biggest suggestion is, you know, find people who will really roll out the red carpet for you and allow you to tag along as much as possible. And don't be shy. Don't think that they really don't mean that I can really hang out or they're probably a little, you know, sick of me hanging around. You know, you have to get in there and you've got to be bold and you've got to be brave and, and see it for what it's worth before, you know, you find yourself in something that you didn't like after you either spent, you know, all the funds, money to do this, the financial, you know, burden it can cost if it's something that you do not end up going down, the time, because it takes time. If you want to be a great leader, it's going to, it's probably going to take away something from your life, meaning you're going to have to share some time to become great if you're not trying to stay at mediocre. And that's one thing that I realized uh, coming in, probably one of your earlier questions was, I didn't realize that it was going to sacrifice, you know, some of my personal family time for my daughters. I, I did. I, I, I really gave up some of that, you know, but at the, at the time, it was very important for me to go down this road and I don't regret it. But, you know, there are times that I regret things that I have missed from my kids but I love what I'm doing and I took advantage of some leaders out there to make sure it's what I wanted to do. And now I hope people continue to take advantage, you know, of me and get out there and, you know, shadow, look, see, or any leader that they know. Yeah. And I just want to expand on that. The opportunity that you provided me, that open door policy and allowing me to go to meetings and meeting with parents and students, that was invaluable. So in addition, say, yes, definitely find someone to shadow and definitely find someone to mentor you. And so just as far as the mentorship piece, why do you think that is so valuable? Because you're going to find time that you doubt yourself. You're going to find times that you're fearful. You're going to have times that you feel alone. It's a lonely place in leadership. There's a glamour side to it, but there's a real side to it as well, where you can um, feel like the most unpopular person sometimes. So your your mentors are very important to remind you that you're not by yourself. It's part of the, the task and the journey. 
Greatness comes with a price. If that is your goal is to, to be as great as you can, not for yourself, but for your school, for your students, it still comes with a price. I, and, and there are a number of people that literally I remember picking up the phone still today. I still have people that I have to call and, and make sure that, you know, I'm staying focused and I'm not sidetracked by, you know, mistakes or criticism. Mentors are huge. We should all have one or two or three. In closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? And who wouldn't say students? You know, I would anyone who would not say students in the field of education, you know, I would, you know, really truly raise an eyebrow about because it is why we are all in the field. It's about kids. It's about, you know, watching the joy, watching the struggles, the triumphs, and developing these young people into citizens. We are raising adults. We're raising citizens, you know, as educators. And they make you laugh. They make you scratch your head. They make you shake your head. They make you bam your head into the wall sometimes. But, you know, that, that's that's the beauty of it. It's kind of like um, watching leather age. You know, it's, 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 it's the process uh, of the child that is priceless. That's definitely, you know, what I hang my hat on. And so how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Well, on Twitter, at Pegram Sanja. Uh, you'll find me there and you'll find a lot of things, you know, about Gwen and things that we're doing there. They're at risk populations and we're trying to really, you know, bring our building to the 21st century. So see me there. That's probably my most popular spot. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Sanja, thank you so much for being on the program. It was exciting, Josh. As always, we go back. Yes. Thank you.